Hi, I'm Abby Mercado, an IVF mom, former VC investor, and CEO of Rescripted. Welcome to the Future of Fertility, a podcast dedicated to shining a light on the entrepreneurs and innovators who are changing the face of family building. With billions in funding over the past few years, we'll introduce you to the people, the ideas, and the businesses that are changing the fertility industry and in turn, millions of people's lives. The future of fertility is bright. Now let's get into it. Dr. Francisco Arandando, aka Paco, is the co-founder and chief medical officer of Positive Fertility. A solution to a conundrum that's simple, IVF is too expensive, Positive is a next-generation fertility clinic with three North Stars, starting with democratization and also including quality and safety. Positive was founded with a purpose, to inspire life-changing impact in the world of fertility services. Paco and I were seated next to each other at a dinner during ASRM this year, and I basically interviewed him the entire time. Sorry, Paco. This guy is a visionary and a legend, and we can all learn so much from him. Plus, if you check out the Positive website, you'll take note that he was a super cute kiddo. Welcome, Paco. Uh, Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. Oh, thank you very much for having us. Abby, it's, it's great to be here. Awesome. And so you're in San Antonio today, right? That is correct. We're in San Antonio, Texas, down here. Awesome. Um, I, I mentioned too, I'm from Dallas. So lo- love, love go. that state. Not so much right now. The lowest star. Normally I do. Um, well, cool. Well, thanks again for joining. So excited to have you. So let's let's start off by having you just tell us a little bit about yourself. And we, we like to keep it fun. We like to keep it casual. So if sure. you end, ending on kind of a fun fact about yourself that few people know, I would love that. So turn it yeah, over so- to you. So, you know, I, 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 uh, I, I'm involved in fertility since I was in medical school. I, I, I love this. I'm from Mexico. And uh, in 1989, when uh, the first IVF baby was created in Mexico, I happened to be working at that clinic. I was, you know, getting some beer money, doing uh, semen analysis and stuff. And uh, so I got hooked. I got hooked. I was the first IVF, you know, uh, I just got the... Uh, so enamored with the profession, and I said, "This is what I'm going to do." So I finished my, I finished my uh, medical school, and then I came to the states. I first I went to Mount Sinai. I did an internship there, and I came to San Antonio to do my residency. Then I did my fellowship in UPenn in Philadelphia, and then I did a master's in healthcare management in in Harvard. And then, since I I I, I couldn't stay more in the states, so I had to go to a underserved. Uh, area to work for three years. Actually, I ended up staying four years in rural Kentucky. So I was in rural Kentucky for four years. Then I transitioned to be an assistant professor in Case Western. And when I hit my 40th anniversary, I said, no, I'm an entrepreneur at at heart. So let's take a risk. So we came to San Antonio. We opened a small practice and we grew it to 80 people, two labs, four centers, and uh, Four years ago, I sold to private equity. I was the chief medical officer of uh, Prelude and um, Inception. And I sold it and uh, I was lucky enough to get my last check two months before the pandemic. So I feel luckier than the lobsters and the Titanic. 
And uh, and uh, then I, you know, in those two years, I wrote a book uh, that is called Medicalpreneur, the official guidebook for physician success in business. And while I was doing the research, I read like three books. Uh, one of them is um, uh, Fortune at the Base of the Pyramid, which is basically about a lot of businesses that are done with in the lower economical class. Two, I um, read the book about disruption in health by uh, Chris Christensen, uh, Clayton Christensen, I'm sorry. Um, and um, then I read the, the Infinite Vision, which is the story about this uh, Indian guy that developed the largest uh, cataract uh, center where everything is for free. These guys, they don't charge. You pay whatever you want. And actually, they have surplus of $85 million a year. Wow. That's it is, wow. So is it how can we don't do something like this for fertility? Where basically we started the, the, the team that we have and we've been together for years is like everybody believes that having a healthy child, it's a universal human right. So that's that's positive. Yeah. That's where positive starts. It is we believe, every single member of our team believes that having a healthy child is a universal human right, mm -hmm. period. Yeah. So what we faced is that, you know, IVF is too expensive. IVF is too expensive and we needed to uh, make it more uh, affordable without compromising quality or safety. And that's the philosophy. That's how we came up to uh, do uh, positive. Amazing. Um, thanks so much for sharing your background. I've, I have a couple, a couple follow-up questions. So um, first of all, I thought it was hilarious that you were doing semen analysis for beer money. So thank you for sharing that. <laughs> I loved that. <laughs> Too funny. Um, and then I, I also, I, I wanted to just quickly touch on your experience in rural Kentucky and, and, you know, wondering if kind of that, that piece of your career informs what you do now absolutely i mean it, it was so uh, interesting the time in kentucky because even though it is a very desperate place to when i grew up it was actually the same mm -hmm. um, the people in rural kentucky uh, had a lot of family oriented uh, extreme um, uh, vision on low education poor they had very magical thinking, like a lot of places in rural Mexico. Um, they uh, have a little bit more extreme religious vision, um, different religion, but still much more uh, extreme. So there were a lot of idiosyncratic elements of rural Kentucky that they were natural for me, uh, even though obviously I have a thick accent and I used to have a a, uh, um, a radio program on Tuesdays there. And um, yes. yeah, because at that time it was, it was so interesting because it was the time that the George Bush removed uh, some of the uh, funding for Planned Parenthood. So I had some okay. friends in the industry and the birth control pill. So we opened the first teenage clinic in rural Kentucky. Wow. That yes. is really cool. It was super cool. We got a nurse practitioner. We got the birth control pills from all these industry friends and this and as you can imagine, in rural Kentucky, I had, unfortunately, a lot of uh, 
minister's enemies, and they were not really very happy with uh, our cause. But we prevailed, and we did our stuff, and it was good. We yeah. And and Kentucky, so, Kentucky recently prevailed, and, which is fantastic news. So you made an impact <laughs> even years later. And, 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 and always has been that uh, social uh, uh, element in, in our practice that, you know, we really want to have an impact. We really want to uh, make things accessible to people. And uh, uh, that's where positive came in as a second wind for it. So I thought I thought I was retired, but yeah. uh, <laughs> now I can tell you I am not. Yeah, no kidding. So you have had you've had a vast career. You're highly educated. You've done it all. Like, what what has been kind of the most most challenging portion of your career so far? And you've been at the top of the food chain at like many of these large clinic networks. Um, so yeah, I'm just so curious. Yeah, no, I, I, I challenging, you know, we, we are so lucky to be in this industry. I mean, we are so lucky. This is a so generous industry. So the challenge are all first world problems, you know, uh, uh navigating and trying to understand, uh, a, what is the true intentions of certain private equities. Uh, that enter into our industry, trying to understand what is really the the, the goal. Um, I think that there is so much to um, to learn from the business side, and the physicians need to be open to that. But one of the challenges in the current scenario that I see is that if you think about histories of industries, every industry has four stages: introduction growth, maturity, and finally decline. So when infertility, from 100 women that need for IVF, only 10 are getting it. So obviously we're not in a growth phase. I mean, we're not in a, a mature phase, we're in a growth phase. And typically private equity enters when there is a mature phase because the way they uh, do their synergies is by consolidating and by creating uh, less competition and um, creating certain synergies like that. So right now in our industry, 60% of the IVF cycles are controlled by private equity, but yet we're in a growth phase. So this is a little bit of a, 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 an aberration of any industry. And this is where positive came in and says, well, but we need to tackle the unmet needs. And so the challenge to answer your question specifically, it is how can we reconcile what it is happening at the level of the industry with private equity getting more uh, control of the, uh, of the industry but at the same time, because there's so much good that private equity can bring, which is a lot of money, and and uh, but in uh, physicians can learn from it, but but physicians need to be dictating some of the rules of the game because our first master is the patient. Yeah. I'm so happy you told that anecdote just now, you, and, you know, just educated us on that. It's, um, and I, I just want to repeat this statistic. So 90% of people who need IVF do not have access to it because it's so expensive. 
So uh, it, it, it happens. Let's let's walk out in other industries and stuff. You know, we have the when uh, Louis Brown was born, nineteen seventy eight. In the first ten years, we had pregnancy rates of ten percent and fifteen percent. Mm-hmm. Now we're talking about fifty five zero. When the best that nature can do is twenty five. So we're duplicating nature already with our mm-hmm. technology. Okay. Mm-hmm. So how much more we can be? I mean, can we be sixty seventies? Maybe, but how long is it going to take us? But instead, we should take that 50% to the rest of the population. The effort seems to be in a lot of my colleagues, in a lot of the industry, is to try to make better pregnancy rates. No. Increase volume. (laughs) Increase access to people. What we have is already great. That's one. Two, let's think about when I grew up, the great majority of people that went to uh, orthodontics were rich people because mm-hmm. there was not affordability. Now they develop certain models where you pay by month, you actually get the Invisalign online. It has been democratized right. in a certain way. Okay. Still, there's room to improve, uh, no question. The eye Lasix, it used to be $10,000 for an eye. Now you can find them for $800, $1,000, same quality. Yet, in that same time, IBF has keep on going up and 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 up. And it is sad that I could potentially do a egg freezing this day for a woman for $2,500. I can guarantee you that we can do it with the techniques and all. But guess what? You need $4,000 of medication. (laughs) So, I I, I mean, is that fair? Are are we as physicians are going to say that is not fair, period? For the patient, it's not fair that I'm able to provide a service at $2,500, but yet $4,000 of medication. It's a problem, (laughs) for sure. Um, Well, so... Where I'm going to dig like so deep into positive, obviously, but one more question just about kind of your background before we do dive in. So, you know, obviously you're the author of Medicalpreneur, um, where, you know, you, so the official guidebook for physician success in business, which I love, but can you speak a little to is why, why does this matter for physicians and what kind of mindset shifts you see? Are you've seen in your career in being a physician, but also an entrepreneur? Like, are you using different sides of your brain? How is this all working together? How are we expecting to for physicians to know all these things about the human body, but to also know all of all of this stuff about business? Yeah, well, uh, I, I will break it in, in in a couple of comments. One of them is that, um, and I mentioned it actually in the book that you have to understand two different mindsets. One is to be an entrepreneur, and another one is to be a manager, so administrative. And both are necessary and indispensable, but actually contradictory. Um, The good manager is a person that applies the rules and follows them and is actually uh, sticks to a, a protocol and doesn't color outside the lines. A medical 
medical entrepreneur and entrepreneur, it's actually the opposite. You have to mm-hmm. challenge the status quo. You have to uh, color outside the lines. You have to understand the rules so you can bring, the, bring them. And actually, they are contradictory. And a lot of times, people that are good entrepreneurs are actually very bad managers and vice versa. Right. Mm-hmm. So we have to make that distinction. And when we are developing a company, um, you have to understand which hat you're wearing. Mm-hmm. And I remember when we the the rules and the elements that make us made us successful in the first three years were exactly the same elements that will preclude us to be successful the next six years. Yeah. So you need to have that adaptation of am I being an entrepreneur? Am I being a rule breaker? Am I being a a, a pioneer? Or I have a proofing concept that I need to expand and replicate two different things. Totally. So that's so that's uh, two important things. In physicians, we don't really get any training on that. Absolutely. Um, many, many people don't. I, I face, you know, it's not just physicians. Like I, that resonates, that resonates deeply with me because I'm like, I'm an entrepreneur and like, I, I think I'm a great entrepreneur and, you know, for me, more of the learnings are surrounding being a better manager. You know, I'm, I love breaking rules, not following them. <laughs> so that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So in, in, in once you have a concept that is developed, you have to follow the rules. And maybe you have to hand the company to somebody that has that idiosyncrasy, that has that uh, uh, thought process that you don't have. And that's where the ego has to be suppressed. It says, hey, I took it from here, but now for go to the next level, you need somebody else. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and that takes time because sometimes pe- people get enamored with their baby, their, their product, and it, it, there's nothing wrong with that. But I think that you have to understand where you're standing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I would say that uh, the, um, the, the other concept is that, uh, you know, physicians, they, they always put in our head that we're bad managers and that we're bad this. And yeah, some of us are, some of us are not. And some of us, we just need a little bit of the uh, uh, software of the mind to be changed. Um, But the evidence is very clear in any profession that the people that it actually has work in the trenches when they prepare themselves, are the best leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, there is very good studies on hospitals that the hospitals that are led by a well-prepared physician as a CEO do much better than somebody that is a non-physician. Mm, interesting, yeah. Um, Cleveland Clinic has always been led by a, a physician. Mayo Clinic has always been led by a physician from day one. Um, John Hopkins, which are the the, the, the main ones, and um, that doesn't mean that you cannot learn from others. But absolutely, no, 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 no. You you learn from everybody. You're yeah. close-minded, but it, 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 the credibility from the outside and from the inside, and you know uh, the political will that you will gather from physicians and from other healthcare workers is going to be much easier for leverage for somebody who has that background. Um, that's that's really I, I hadn't heard that that vantage point. Um, so it sounds like physicians are on the they're already set up for success. They just don't realize it. And it's not only physicians. I mean, 
the best uh, Formula One uh, team leaders have been Formula One racers. The best NBA, NBA coaches have been NBA players. Sure. I mean, you can continue. This is uh, has been written ad nauseum in, yeah. in Harvard Business Review that the people that are actually in the trenches will become the best generals. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Well, thanks for writing about it. Um, go head, head up Amazon and, and grab yourself a coffee, listeners. <laughs> um, okay, well, let's let's dig more a lot more into positive. Um, so, you know, we've already talked about meds. Like meds are annoyingly expensive, but share with us the like how have you chipped away at costs? Like what is what is unnecessarily expensive um, in the fertility industry, and, and so how, is, the, how is positive different? One of the things that I uh, recently I was uh, I read a very very uh, good book that is called Solvable, a uh, simple solution to, uh, to complex uh, problems with uh, a guy uh, last name Chevalier uh, from Switzerland, and it's so difficult when you put people to solve problems. We naturally tend to add things. Oh, what? Very few times people think to make it better. Let's pull things out. Let's remove things. And there are so many things in our IBF. Um, we've been practicing IBF the same way since 1978. It has not really changed. And so when I did the Toyota Production System uh, uh, diploma, and I really learned about the eight types of wastes. So there's eight types of wastes. And one of them is um, motion, transportation, inventory. Um, and we have overprocessing, overproduction, um, uh, unused uh, uh, people. Um, so you think about in an IVF center, how many times the doctor is typing something or is uh, an REI is extracting eggs mm. when can be done by somebody else mm. uh, or doing an ember transfer um, or uh, the motion that uh, thanks to the pandemic was eliminated by the video conferencing. But if you go to any fertility center, you go and the patient goes and gets a blood drawn, then goes to a, a bathroom, empty the bladder, then goes to another room, gets an uh, uh, ultrasound, and then they get to another room and he gets counseling. So he, they move her, and that's what patients literally tell you. I felt like cattle, doctor. Yeah. Cattle. Been there. <laughs> so what we did is we twisted around. So we are truly patient-centric in our office. In the same room, we have every room has a bathroom. Every room has a blood drawn station. It has a um, ultrasound, has a, 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 a TV on the ceiling. So the patient, while she's getting the ultrasound, she can see what is happening without twisting her leg. Yeah. And everything. So we're truly patient-centric because we, the providers, move around the patient. The patient doesn't move. Yeah. And that decreases the visit of the monitoring by 50% on the time. Wow. That simple adjustment, like simplify, that's incredible. Just like just that notion of putting yourself in, in a patient's shoes right there. That's awesome. Yeah. Because you have to go and then there's a, there's only two bathrooms and there's four exam rooms and there's only one blood draw station. So you can imagine the bottlenecks that occur. Oh yeah. 
And that's why a lot of places, oh, we have to have a second uh, a waiting room because the patient comes in, it has to be waiting for the bladder to be empty. So there's only two bathrooms and there's four exam rooms. So what we did is Toyota production system, uh, one-stop shop, we do yeah. that. That's and like example. your your clothes are like on and off and like you're walking around in a paper gown, you feel uncomfortable, oh. you feel embarrassed, like all the things. Oh, that's awesome. And, and even when we were designing this, I had push back from my nurses. No, it looks awkward. And yeah, it looks awkward. <laughs> it looks awkward. We're not used to it. Yeah. But it is it, now the patient's like, doc, this is so good. We don't have to mm-hmm. leave the room. You know, before exactly what you described, I had to come out with my gown and, you know, everybody will see me. And yeah, so now we have that. Um, we also uh, have eliminated a lot of the labs that we don't need in Europe and in other places. They don't use uh, estradiolas, you know, and I will say this. There are certain places in the United States because our system is so screwed up that people order estradiols and progesterones and LHs just because they're going to get paid for it, not because mm. they need it. And the incentive yes. is wrong, period. Yeah. There are some there are some centers that order estradiol and LH and progesterone in every single visit just because they're going to get paid for it. That's the wrong reason why we do things. It's perverse incentive. It's outrageous. It's horrible. And... The same um, PGTA and all that, that you don't need it for everybody. And so we just tend to pile up the add-ons without the judicious thinking of what is truly adding value to the patient Mm -hmm. and what is not adding value to the patient. And that's the philosophy of Toyota production system that you know, everybody says, oh, you know, when you improve quality, when you improve, you decrease price, you have to sacrifice quality and you have to sacrifice safety. So your production system says, no, you can actually improve quality, safety, and decrease the cost at the same time. And, you know, uh, if you go to our website, I don't know if I, I explained you this, but the uh, the logo that we have in, in, in Positive so listener, have, he's showing me the logo. He's wearing a, it looks like a so You have a spiral, yeah. and that is democratization because we, we reached 360. And the top circle is basically the quality, the top quality that we will not compromise. And the circle in the middle is the safety, the circle that is safe in the middle, protected, mm-hmm. that we will not compromise. Yeah. So, and actually, I can tell you, one of the challenges that I've been having is that patients come to us and say, oh, why is it so affordable? <laughs> yeah, we don't think it's that good. <laughs> well, no, we actually have to consistently send the message that the fact that it's more affordable doesn't compromise your quality or your safety. Yeah, and that is actually my challenge right now. Is that yeah. about the challenge? The challenge is to tell the people the fact that we're affordable doesn't mean that we're less uh, uh, um, uh, quality or less safe than other people. Actually, I could tell you that it's more because we cause less pain. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about, um, I want to talk about two things. So the second thing I want to talk about is the lab. The first thing I want to talk about is the notion of reproductive endocrinologists not doing procedures like agri-fables. So this has become a very hot topic (laughs) in the world of of infertility. Um, 
you know, I think like reproductive endocrinologists with a, what, 11 years of postgraduate education. <laughs> like, that's insane, right? Lots and lots of yeah. school. So, you know, I found college, yeah. 15 if you found college, exactly. I've, you know, I have not been to that much school. <laughs> I went to college, but, yeah. you know. Um, but so tell, I mean, understand it, understand it from your angle, but tell us a little bit about kind of what I don't know, the challengers of this model are saying. And, you know, I imagine what they're saying is we went to all this school and like, now you're going to like minimize our job. So anyway, uh -huh. I, like, that yeah, is, tell it, me, tell me more. Tell me more. So that's like, the well, it's thing. very, it's very simple. People yeah. can be divided in two in this world. People with a scarcity mentality mm -hmm. and people with abundance mentality. Yeah. Scarcity comes out of fear. People that are insecure, that are fearful. Mm -hmm. Abundance comes from confidence. Mm -hmm. And what we have in front of us is a potential goldmine for REIs and a potential goldmine for REIs while doing good. What else can you, what perfect culture media? What do I mean with that? Um, people uh, with a scarcity mentality focus on competition, on the outcome. People with abundance focus on the customer, the patient, and the process. And what they are not seeing is that, oh, protecting. They don't share knowledge. A scarcity mentality, they don't share knowledge. The uh, uh, abundance mentality shares knowledge. Come here, learn from me. I learn from you. Um, and, um, and and what we need is that the way we present things. I don't know if you know this anecdote about these uh, uh, priests that they were smokers and they were trying to go to the um, to the bishop to see if they allow them to smoke while they uh, pray. And one of them went and says, oh, man, the bishop told me that I could not smoke while I pray. What, how did you ask him? Well, says, listen, uh, uh, um, uh, can I smoke when I pray? He says, no, no, you cannot. That's so strange. He told me that I could. What did you ask him? Well, I asked him if I could pray while I smoke. He says, absolutely. You All the time it's, it's time to pray. So it's how you frame it. Totally, and yeah. if you frame it in a competition uh, uh, manner, here is like, you have 90% of the market that is unmet. 90% of the market is unmet. And we have uh, uh, this mentality that, oh, it's the competition. I want to, uh, I want to uh, 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 protect the status quo. I, 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 uh, you compete to stay on top instead of collaborating to stay on top. You uh, uh, fear change versus the abundance mentality that embraces change. Uh, the, the people that shares knowledge is the abundance mentality, is generous with others. The scarcity mentality is they won't offer help. They, uh, you know, you believe, the, the abundance mentality believes that the pie is getting bigger, even though you have a smaller slice. Um, so you embrace risk. But what I am seeing in our field is that a bunch of us are having a scarcity mentality and I will never replace an REI. Yeah. Will never replace an REI. But you tell me, 
how anesthesiologists are able to run five uh, ORs with five CRNAs. You tell me how a radiologist can run three MRIs, two uh, ultrasound machines, four fluoroscopies, and two X-ray machines by having some people doing the X-ray and they sit on an executive level reading the machines. When they get stuck, they go and help and get them out of trouble. You tell me, in our specialty, fetal maternal medicine, the high-risk pregnancy dogs, you know how many deliveries they do? Zero. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you talked about Zero. That. Yeah. Yeah. Zero. They say, hey, increase the insulin. Hey, uh, deliver it in two weeks. Hey, uh, uh, <laughs> deliver now, which is what they said to now, me. <laughs> they are actually just giving orders. So why would we have to have to be doing egg retrievals and then we were transfers? Now, I'm not saying that a OBGYN should be doing a case of a PGTM. No, I think that somebody that has the genetic background and all that should be doing that. But uh, the bread and butter is like you have a cardiovascular surgeon doing an appendectomy. Why? Why? And the most important thing is that from the, if we put ourselves in our main boss, which is the patient, is the society are not getting what they need, which is 90% of the people are not being served. So we need to break that uh, thinking and uh, think on abundance, remove the fear and uh, be more self-confident as fertility specialists that we know what we know, but we can dictate the rules to create a system that is more empowering for the patients and it will produce more money for us. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love it. That's, I, I feel like I'm like, I don't need to see my leadership coach this week because all of a sudden, all I'm thinking about is an abundance mentality. That's uh, it's, it's an excellent, excellent way to put it. Like literally no follow-up questions. It makes all the sense in the world. It's time for IVF to grow up and, and, you know, create, create more families. Um, so tell us then, you know, so we've, we've talked about kind of the, the provision of care. Let's talk a little bit about um, like cutting costs in the lab. So mm-hmm. how have you how have you all been able to do that effectively at Hopkinton? Yeah, so we're experimenting with different things, but obviously, you know, simple, you know, uh, the the cultural media. Obviously, we 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 use uh, single media. Um, we are trying to experiment in seeing if the the labs um, uh, technology or the uh, photographic technology will allow you to have less. Um, uh, time from the uh, embryologist, because what happens right now is that the mayor cost in any fertility clinic, so from $100 that you spend to run a fertility clinic, $55 to $60 in the U.S. is labor. So how can you, in in embryologists, we have timed. Embryologists, the actual embryology work is probably 30%, 70% is documentation. Is documentation and doing this and doing that is things that, my goodness, we are so advanced in technology as yeah. physicians and as IVF, but we are so backwards in technology that we're using. Let me give you an example. Inventory is one of the things in the uh, Toyota production system that you keep a low inventory because you have a lot of, uh, you buy a lot of media and this and goes uh, due dates and uh, the catheters, they're sitting there. There's a lot of money sitting there. So you would like to have a very thin inventory. So usually any system, you have a procurement device 
or a procurement software that gets them from the uh, suppliers. And then you have an inventory system that tells you how much supply you have. Well, there's not a single uh, software in IDF that tells you when you use this one, send the message so they purchase another one. Well, my last uh, partner, uh, Tony Anderson, he owns uh, hair salons. And he says, Paco, look at my phone. You know, I can tell you right here from my phone how many red dye I have, how many blue, how many this. I press a button and I order another one. He says, this is a hair salon. We can, this is a hair salon. We don't have that infertility. Yeah. And we should. So we're working into that kind of technology to eliminate, because right now, what is it? Oh, we need five catheters. Hey, we need five catheters. Let's go in the purchase order. Okay, write the purchase order. In the big companies, oh, send it up to the manager. And now the purchase order has to be approved. And now I'll send the email. Oh, get the credit card on the phone. <laughs> that is yeah. waste. Yeah. It, you know, it's, it's seamless. So we are making it seamless that there is a catheter is used, is scanned, sends the message to IVF store or whoever it is. They send another one. They already have the credit card. They send us a bill in the end of the month. That's amazing. Yeah, I heard. I heard someone kind of. I forget who it was. It was. Um, it might have been Claire Tompkins, but um, future family. She was on a panel at um, the health conference this week in, in Las Vegas, and she said, "I I refuse to be able to order a pizza with one click on my phone, and have the fertility industry still be this old school." Um, and I thought that was really Order well. Order a pizza. What's Starbucks, right? In the morning you go, you click, you get the stuff, you grab it, and actually they say, oh, you must be Francisco. <laughs> I go and even the personal told you, like, you, like um, it's people. Paco. <laughs> <laughs> uh, awesome. So it's like, oh, my goodness. It's like even the personal touch when you enter. And say, yeah. we, we can't do that. Yeah. So, so we, we have to learn. Yeah. So tell me, okay, so, you know, now we've been through the clinic, we've been through the lab, you know, you all don't, don't add on things that you don't actually think that the patient needs. Like, you know, some of, some of these cycles could be actually pretty simple, pretty straightforward. So you're reducing these costs. However, simultaneously, states are mandating insurance coverage for infertility. Um, employers continue to cover you know, IVF treatments, fertility treatments for people. How do you see this market kind of all colliding? Like, do you have, do you have any opinions? Like are, are employers more likely to begin covering this at a more rapid clip if it's yeah. cheaper? I hope so. Yeah, I think uh, it, it, it's, it's a good uh, question for the following. So let's go in, yeah. you know, uh, history, history. Uh, healthcare insurance was non-existent before World War II, period. So World War II finished, we had no uh, labor force, and basically the companies started to offer healthcare insurance as a perk to attract good workers. And that's how everything developed, and uh, uh, at the beginning it was you know, uh, uh, very good for the physicians because they charged whatever they wanted, uh, insurance, when they determined that 50% of the income of the physician was insurance, they started squeezing them. And 
we are in the very low, uh, low reimbursement right now. COVID comes in and we have exactly the same phenomenon that World War II. We have no workers. You cannot offer healthcare insurance because it's already there. So what is the next thing? Well, a lot of insurance do not cover fertility. And guess what? Your main workforce is 20 to 45. This is, this is health insurance deja vu all over again. And the fertility benefit management companies are smart enough to find that sweet spot where they do not pay the cash prices and they pay faster and more generous than the insurance companies. Mm-hmm. So that's why that sweet spot has allowed the uh, fertility benefit companies to rise. Yeah. Um, so now there's going to be a point that when the fertility benefit manager companies have 30, 40% of your business, they're going to start squeezing you down. That's mark my words 10 years from now, 20 years from now. Yeah. Um, what I do see, what we did is we basically decreased the variability of mm-hmm. our services. So if you go back to a general store in the 1800s in rural, in rural America, you enter to the general store and you can buy oil, avocado, uh, shoes, um, corn, and a, and a fork, and perhaps a screw. Well, then you start differentiating the stores, and now you have the bakery, you have the clothing store, the sports store. Actually, you have the sports, and then you have the golf <laughs> differentiation, right? Yeah. Well, in 2022, the great majority of the fertility centers is a general store. You have recurrent pregnancy losses, you have egg, retrie- egg, egg, egg freezing, you have uh, egg freezing with cancer, you have uh, uh, gestational carriers, you have IVF or uh, uh, genetic uh, PGTM, etc. It's all there. When the great majority of the people in that welcoming room have zero affinity to each other, you tell me what is the relationship of a gestational carrier versus a person that was just diagnosed with cancer and is freezing her eggs versus another one that has been struggling with a couple of infertility for 10 years. They have zero relationship. Yet, we're treating them as the same. So we, at Positive, we decided to focus on what it is 80% of the solution. We are not doing PGTM at this point. Yeah. We are not doing gestational carrier. We are not recruiting egg donors because that entails a lot of overhead. We're not doing insurances because the insurances, um, they, uh, you have to have three or four people just to be on the phone 45 minutes to wait for them. And it takes them 90 days to pay. So we just and actually, let's, let's talk about the insurance. So you have an Edna and they say, Average IVF in the United States is $14,000. For medication, is $18,000. Uh, you have coverage? Yes, I have coverage. Okay, Edna. Very good. Edna, whatever. I don't want to say bad about any United, whatever. <laughs> Shield. Um, oh, oh, by the way, medication is not covered. Okay, how much is it? $4,000. Okay. Oh, and by the way, uh, uh, HICSI may or may not be covered. $1,500. Oh, no, no. We don't freeze embryos. No, no, no. no. Oh, they freeze? No, that's not included. So it's another $1,000. 
There's, oh, okay, so it's only 6,000 instead of 18,000 is 12,000. Oh, yes, but you're... Um, you have to do six IUIs first. That's my no, deductible. Your deductible is 4,000. Uh, yeah, yeah. So now it's, I don't pay 8,000, 18,000. I pay only 9,000. Great. It's a great discount. So what we said is, forget about it. Just give us 6,650 bucks and we're going to do your case. That's it. Between <laughs> yeah. patient, patient, physician. Patient yeah, yeah. And that's what we're doing. And, 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 and what we're generating is we're not being a competition to the other centers. I can tell you here in San Antonio, we're not being a competition. They have their own market, right? Which is all the people that are insuring all this. So it's the Ritz-Carlton and all the uh, 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 Four Seasons, which the great majority of the fertility clinics in the United States are Four Seasons and Ritz-Carlton. But we want to be the Hollywood Express. We want to be giving a very nice, good sleep, good breakfast in the morning. You will be relaxed and you can go off your business. But you don't need 8,000 thread count sheets. No. <laughs> yeah. No. I just want a baby. Like that's it. <laughs> I love it. There will always be the people that would like to pay extra for the service. And there's nothing wrong with that. But this is the point to my colleagues that are afraid of bringing other people into the uh, uh, market is that there's not even competition to them. Yeah. It's not even competition. So different. Right. But there is this scarcity mentality. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like you know, and actually here in town, I've been referring patients to my uh, 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 previous colleagues and, and competitors, competitors because they are not gestational carriers, and say, "Are you sending me a hundred fifty thousand dollar case?" Yes. Yeah, sure. sure. By all means, yes. <laughs> like, go well, for guess it. What, guess what? Whenever the patients do not, uh, they their insurance is maxed out, and they have to do another cycle. They can pay $18,000. Guess where they're coming? Paco. <laughs> it's, it, we're generating it's a true. new ocean. It's a blue ocean. So yeah. it's it's a new uh, a new place. But, you know, uh, I think uh, I, I feel bad for some of my colleagues that are uh, with the uh, scarcity mentality. I feel bad for them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's... Um... It's a complex industry, and I love how you talked to it about the way that that industry industries grow grow in in kind of those four different ways. So, um, well, I have one last question quickly. So we're running out of time, yeah. but if you had to rescript, and I ask this to all guests, um, if you had to rescript one thing about the fertility industry, what would it be? You've probably already said like at least ten things that you would rescript. <laughs> But what's either your top thing or one thing that you haven't mentioned already? I, I, have to, I, I have to go with the with, with the philosophy of, of, of positive that we believe yeah. that everybody has the right to have a family, and I think yeah. that it is it is sad that we, we should make we should legislate it uh, and make it mandatory yeah. that if there is coverage for everybody, yeah. uh, because um, you know we we have coverage for. Viagra and other things, but we don't have coverage for what puts us on earth, to, which is to replicate this okay. speech and to have a family and all this. So I would say what I would what I will put more effort is in the uh, policy level. 
at the policy yeah. level, preventive as well as curative. Uh, that, that will be my, my, my efforts. I love it. Um, well, this has been absolutely fascinating, educational. I have about seven books I need to read. Um, so thank you so much um, for coming on to the podcast. Where can people find you? Oh, well, www.positive is P-O-Z-I-T-I-V-F.com. Awesome. Uh, awesome. Yeah, we have a, here in San Antonio, we have a wonderful team and we have a lot of uh, fun. Every day we have fun. That's amazing. That's what it's all about. Um, well, thank you again, Paco, and I'm sure we'll, we'll connect soon. Absolutely. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for tuning in to The Future of Fertility. We hope you leave here feeling empowered about all of the exciting innovations taking place in the fertility space. If you liked today's episode, don't forget to click subscribe and be sure to check out Dear Infertility, our popular podcast slash advice column, where we chat with experts about all things fertility and fertility and pregnancy loss. To learn more and to join our free fertility support community, head to prescripted.com.